This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Jim Hewling. Jim is the Global Managing Consultant for Franklin Covey's Four Disciplines of Execution. In this role, Jim is responsible for the Four Disciplines Methodology, teaching methods, and the quality of delivery worldwide. Jim also regularly, boy, that's a hard word for me to say, serves as an executive coach to a number of senior executives. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jim. Diane, thank you. I'm uh, so honored to be here today. And I did a little research on you. My goodness, congratulations on an incredible podcast and an incredible impact that you've been having. I'm, I'm honored to be your next guest in line today. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you. Coming from you, that that is tremendous praise. I appreciate it. Thank you. And and you are doing some outstanding work as well. You know, Franklin Covey is one of my favorite organizations. And so I'm excited to, to have this conversation. And I am curious what you are seeing out there uh, in regards to changes and challenges to execution that leaders are facing these days. Sure. Uh, it's a great question. And what a great way to begin, you know, because frankly, anybody who's in charge of anything, whether it's a, a household or a PTA group or a, a major corporation is is probably facing some challenges right now that they've never faced before. And so I, if I may, I'll answer your question by telling you something old that's still here and something new that seems to be happening now. The, the, the old that's still here is that it's really hard to get human beings to do something, you know, in the way that you kind of want them to do it. So if you're a if you're a leader of a team and a company or or you're a leader of a nonprofit organization or a neighborhood association, whatever you are, you can't get to a new level without doing some, a new thing. You know, Dr. Covey used to say. Uh, if you want to achieve a goal you've never achieved before, you simply must be willing to do things you've never done before, which which is a, a wonderful quote, isn't it, Diane? And, and it always makes me a little angry, this quote, because, well, not really angry. I love Dr. Covey, but, you know, he makes it sound so simple. And yeah. that second part, doing things you've never done before, that's what's hard, you know? Yeah. So the old thing that's still with us is that inc- different results require different behaviors, and human beings struggle to do things differently, don't we? I mean, that's why New Year's resolutions are such a cliche because we we have great aspirations and then it's hard to follow through. And, and the same is true in business. So an old thing that's still here, 
hard to make the changes needed to produce different results. New thing, brand new thing, at least in my in my tenure, um, or, or never at this level before, I should say, is this thing we're all calling the great resignation. You know, mm -hmm. is that the, the very moment people feel a degree of unhappiness, they just go somewhere else. And that that is a relatively new thing, certainly at this volume. Um, and, and if you don't mind, I'll just finish by saying something really quick. I want to make sure I'm not misunderstood about that. You know, I think everybody should should never be satisfied until they find a job they love. They do work sure. they think that matters. I mean, my goodness, you know, um, uh, I'm at the age where I, I've earned the right to say life goes by faster than you could imagine. So, yes, do that. If you're unhappy or you have an abusive boss or you have a company who value who violates your sense of integrity or ethics, find another place. No question. But the thing that's that's disturbing to me is that when things get harder now and they are harder, then you've got this new challenge of people are very fast to say, well, I'm going to find another job. So so that's an old thing and a new thing. Uh, it seems to be the challenge today. OK. That sort of also feels like a leadership challenge to me that, you know, part of the reason that people are oftentimes dissatisfied is because they aren't being led well. Is that fair? I think it's not only fair, you know, it's it's really prophetic in a way, Diane. I mean, the two things you and I, we I hope you'd agree or tell me if you don't, you know, I, I hope we're really careful about number one. Everything that goes wrong is not the fault of the leader. And we both know that. You know, anybody yeah. who's led anything knows that. You you have a you have a flawed human being attempting to lead flawed human beings. Where you know, there's uh, we need a degree of grace and compassion with each other because we don't always know the answers and the right things. Right. But let's also say that it's accurate to note that there are many corporations who who run the full gamut, some who are sort of innocently neglectful. You know, they pass people over for promotions. They don't give raises that are deserved. They they expect great results, but don't reinvest in their people in terms of training and and, and right. personal growth. They don't provide opportunities that people deserve to have. I mean, they're and maybe they're not malicious in it, but they're but they're still neglectful, even if it's innocent. You know, you have that, and then you have all the way on the other end of the spectrum. Um, you know, it's true. There are organizations that could only be rightly called abusive. So, and, and then somewhere in that mix are some truly great companies who take yeah. great care of their people. So I don't mean to sound hard about this. I've been a leader all my life and my heart aches for leaders who are in a quandary. But I also say there are a lot of people who are exercising their right to be happy right now and they didn't do it before they wanted the paycheck they needed the job they were, and yeah. suddenly now this thing is happening where people say you know i'm going back but i'm not going back to that <laughs> so exactly. that's a real new thing i think uh, that's perplexing a lot of leaders uh, at the moment i do too and then i i think about what you just said and i think leaders don't want people who aren't invested in the goal mm -hmm. that you know wh where the organization is going and so uh, in some way i would think they'd be somewhat relieved to have people who were just phoning it in go mm -hmm. someplace else yeah. yes they would if, if i can hear all of them whispering in my ear right now diane <laughs> and they, they they would say yes so long as i can replace them yes <laughs> 
you know, so yes. I can find somebody who is engaged. And, yeah. you know, it's, um, I have a little small vocabulary that helps me simplify a complicated world. I'll just offer it real fast is that it, it seems to me, if you are willing to oversimplify the great complexity of life, you can boil all members of a workforce into two categories. One category is they are compliant. So in other words, they'll, they'll do whatever you ask them to do, and they're mostly afraid of being fired. And, the, and in those environments, you find leaders who are predominantly authoritative. So, you know, the rules are clear, but the consequences are clear too. And I sort of grew up in this generation, Diane. I don't know about you, but, you know, my, my first boss said, you know, that, why do you think we call it work? Because it's not supposed right. to be fun, you know? <laughs> and, and that was really true. That's not right, but it was really true. Yeah. You know? So you have, you have authority-based cultures where the primary characterization of the work, working people, the teams, uh, are ju they're just compliant. They'll do what they're told to do. Uh, but, you know, the downside of that environment is they won't do anything more than what they're supposed to do, right. right? And then you have this other side where you have leaders who are, instead of being oriented to using their authority, they are oriented toward getting people engaged, toward giving them a sense of purpose and value and mission. And they're, 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 they're in, a, in a sense, saying, if you'll connect your dream to ours, we'll both get there together. Let's do something great together. And, and those people get all the way to commitment. So if you think about the two words I've tried to use carefully, one group is compliant, but the other group is committed. Yeah. And, and, you know, frankly, it's committed people who do everything great in the world, everything, everything remarkable that happens were people who went beyond the basic description of their job because they really believed in what they were doing. Well, today, I think people are leaving because they want to find this in, this culture, you know, where yeah. where people are engaged, where my voice matters, where, you know, I may be junior on the team, but I might still have the best idea in the room. You know, can I have a voice? Can I say what I make my contribution? They want to be in places like that. And the people who do that are, are really going to win big in this year. <laughs> and the people who don't, um, I'm I'm concerned for them. I think they're really going to lose the really talented folks. Um, and they'll be left with, you know, people who are uh, not able to do quite as much. I I think the exact same thing. It's it's um, really a challenging time. <clears throat> Absolutely mm -hmm. challenging. So so let's talk some about strategy mm -hmm. um, because strategy is <laughs> if if I hear it at least once a day, that's not really surprising, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Right. strategic planning it's a whole thing but how good is the strategy really if it's not executed properly yeah. well it, you 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 really you really ask great questions because like that question that is so perfectly worded <laughs> it allows me to say with a sense of freedom utterly worthless you know <laughs> um, uh, you know there's a there's an ancient ancient teaching that says uh without a vision the people perish mm. and and while that's a very dramatic saying you know that's there's a lot of truth still today so uh, an organization or a team um or, or even just a you know as we, we tr i'm trying to say uh, including everybody a neighborhood yeah. association or a pta group with no sense of where we're going, we just wander around. You know, we we literally can sort of die along the way or quit or walk away. So we have to have a strategy or we won't ever get anywhere. 
but a strategy without execution is really just hallucination. It's just, it's just a dream, you know? Um, and the difference between strategy and execution, um, it, it reminds me a little bit, I'm, I'm a former CEO, and so I, I remember many times sitting in my office building a strategy, you know, envisioning the future and thinking it was brilliant, and maybe, maybe occasionally thinking I was kind of smart, what a great strategy, you know? And, and it was like a Spielberg movie in my head, you know? It was all just gonna go beautifully this year because of the strategy. And, and then, you know, I'd walk out of my office to where the people were and say, here's what we're going to do. And, and it didn't go the way I had imagined it. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Have you ever heard that quote by uh, Mike Tyson? He said, uh, um, everybody has a fight plan until I hit him in the face. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that. You know, you have you have your strategy, but execution will hit you in the face yeah. <laughs> because it's hard. It's hard yeah. to get that to happen. So. You know, I don't want to say worthless. A vision is always a powerful thing, and you ha it gives you a place to begin. But without execution, it doesn't make much difference in the world or in the people that you lead. So you've got to have both. You know, I find this to be so true that that um, people set goals, mm -hmm. but then they don't create the action plan to go about achieving that goal. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, and then they wonder why they're not there and the, the mystery is why they wonder <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know we said we said at the very beginning we, we're not we're not and anybody who's listening to this who leads anything you you haven't heard anything yet where diane and i are saying you know we're just dumping all this in the lap of all the no. leaders leadership is a problem that's not it uh, no. leader absence of leadership is part of the problem but absence of other things is as well right. so so then when you have um uh, when you have these circumstances where many leaders are content, in fact, almost think it's the right thing that their job is to say what we're going to do, and your job is to figure out how we're going to do it, right? That's That's been around a long time. Yeah. Uh, even leaders who almost take a certain pride, you know, in saying, I don't get involved in the details. My yeah. job is to point the compass. Your job is to get there. You know, it just sounds wonderful at the beginning. <laughs> but if a person doesn't know how to get there, yeah. or if you've got lots of persons who all have different ideas about how to get there, then that's where leadership is required. So, so, so my basic pleading these days with all the executives that I coach and have the chance to influence is don't be content to just say what we're going to do. Be an active part of helping your teams figure out how we're going to do it, you know? And, and if you have a heart and you, and you want to do it well, try to help them figure out a way to do it by being smarter, you know, not just working harder. If the, if the only play you have in your playbook for how is just work more hours, you're not really helping us, you know, help us figure out a smart way to do it. Right. And that way we'll, we'll achieve what you want, but we'll also look at you like somebody who actually helps us, not somebody who just tells us what to do and then evaluates us, you know, if we don't. Right. It, it reminds me of um, this concept of, are you setting people up for success or are you setting them up for failure? That's right. That's yeah. right. 
and, and I, I have a feeling, may I say this? I don't mean with any hubris. You've been thumbing through the four disciplines because you're, uh, you're really <laughs> speaking the language of the four disciplines of execution. You know, that, that um, um, it, 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 there's a way of doing these things that when we do them, you really are a leader. This is what leadership is, is helping people, you know. And so setting a goal that's winnable we write so often in the book, and, and I can tell it's in your language as well, that that it, people ask themselves all the time, is this a winnable game? Yeah, you know? right. And, and if you set people on a path to a game that's not winnable, don't think for a minute, they don't know it. They know it's yeah. not winnable. They're usually, they're, they're closer to it than the leader is. You know? Right. They knew it wasn't winnable long before you knew it, didn't know it. And so, in that situation, again, people are asked to play an unwinnable game. What they'll do is they'll comply. They'll yeah. go through the motions. They'll look busy whenever you're walking around. You know, it's all all human behavior. Um, but they'll never commit because mm -hmm. they know it, it's like asking me to run a four minute mile. You know, it's it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, if my job is hanging in the balance, I'm sure going to put on my tennis shoes and go out there to look like I'm trying but I know I can't do it. So I'm not also not going to die on the track because I know I can't do it anyway. You know? So I think a lot of leaders miss this. And, and, uh, and if you don't mind me adding quickly to this is sure. I think the worst version of this is a leader who knows that their team is capable of X and they set the goal at, at 1.5 X, you know, they, in other words, they, they think they're doing a good thing by setting a goal that is beyond the capability of the team. But in reality, they're they're sucking all the life out of the team from the moment they begin because the team knows wow. it's not winnable, right? So the old thing about you know your reach should exceed your grasp is a beautiful metaphor for how to think, but it's not a metaphor or a guideline for how to execute. When you want people to execute, you you set up a game that's challenging, that's sort of in our words worthy, that represents the best we're capable of. Yeah. But don't go so far as to make it unwinnable, you know, uh, and then at the end of the year, when the team fails to hit the goal, try to come in and say, well, you guys, I'm, I'm happy with 80%. I'm going to call 80% a win. That's you. You really did what I wanted you to do. You know, that's just gamesmanship with human beings. It's the yeah. it's one of the worst forms of manipulation, this goal setting thing. So we just say, be honest. You know, set a goal that requires the very best a team has to offer and then make sure that that goal is balanced in the world of reality, that it is possible to achieve. You do that and you can really fire people up. They'll they'll work to win at a game that was winnable, but not one that was impossible. Boy, I, that that is really powerful. It's so interesting, like I am playing back in my head experiences that I had where the goal was set and was not attainable yeah. and how that felt. Mm -hmm. And you still, if you're someone like who's wired like I am, where you're wired to try your hardest and do your best, yes. you still go and try and do it. But somewhere yeah. in your head, you just know it's it's not going to happen. And then I, I had an experience where then I was penalized. Oh my God. Kidding. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. That's awful. To, for, so to mm -hmm. be penalized is like unconscionable. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Presuming well, it, presuming you could know it was unwinnable. 
but to me, the worst one is the leader who comes in at the end of the year and says, well, I really, I really tricked you guys. You know, all I really wanted was 80% of the goal. I didn't really want the whole thing anyway. I didn't think you could do it, but I just wanted to see what you would do. That's Isn't the that demoralizing? Worst. It's demoralizing. Well, think about, think about a leader. Think about a team that works all year to hit a goal and misses it. They're demoralized. They feel like failures, losers. Then the leader comes in, you know, like Superman and says, I have great news. Uh, you really hit the goal because I only wanted 80% of what you did. Well, then you give them the goals for the next year. What's the first thing they're going to do? <laughs> math. Right. They're going to do math. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and honestly, from that day forward, you can never set a real, quote unquote, real goal again. Because right. every goal you give that team for the rest of your career, they're going to assume it's a trick. Yes. So you'll never get, you'll never even know what the capacity of the team. That's how, that's how pernicious this whole set the goal beyond what they can do. That whole mindset is so grounded in manipulation, honestly. And never before in our history have people been on the lookout isn't this, I hope you think this is true, Diane, being on the lookout for insincerity or inauthenticity in, oh, in sure. leaders, right? They, they yeah. smell it now. So they imagine what that does to your leadership career, you know, if you do that. Um, the better way wow. is to be honest, be transparent. Yeah. Here's a challenging goal. We're going to have to work really hard this year to hit it. But guys, we can do this. I think you, I think you know, we can do this. That kind of message makes people rise up. You know, I can almost hear Rocky music in the background, even if I'm role playing <laughs> it for you, you know, uh, but, but the other way just doesn't work and you yeah. do it once you're kind of ruined forever. Definitely. Wow. That, that is, that is great. Whether you're a seasoned designer or a total novice with Visme, you can create engaging, dynamic, branded content that makes people ask, how did you do that? Visit tinyurl.com slash seizevisme to explore. If you're a small business owner or salesperson who struggles with getting the sales results you're looking for, grab a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon and wherever books are sold. And if you haven't seen all audible.com has to offer, you don't know what you're missing. Sign up for a free trial at audibletrial.com slash business growth. Now, discipline three is keeping a compelling scoreboard. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm so curious about this because I really believe in visual representations of progress. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talk to me some about like yeah, what the scoreboard yeah. does for morale, mm -hmm. competition, I love that. I love that. all those things. Yeah, thank you. And you're doing such a great job. You know, we've discipline one was about knowing what we're going to do and discipline two was about how we're going to do it. But but if you'd let me add to that formula, I think discipline sure. three answers the question of why should I care? You know, it's one thing to know what, it's better to know what and how, but you don't really have a complete formula until every human being has an answer to the question of why. Why are we doing this? Why does this matter? And, and I think that's what discipline three goes to the heart of. And um, I don't mind saying this, you know, quite plainly. I've been in leadership 44 years. I was CEO of a major corporation for 11 years. I've spent the last 13 years as the global managing consultant for Franklin Covey. I, I, I feel like I can speak with some credibility about leadership. And, and I'll use that credibility in order to say, I never understood this 
that the way you keep score influences the way people play. I don't know if that's catching to your ear, but I hope it is because it is. And I so explain yeah. that, please. And you're you're or you've already illustrated part of how that works. If if but think about it just for a second. Most people listening to this broadcast, and again, whether they're you know it's your PTA or your neighborhood association, or you lead a team at work, it's the same principle that's in play that we think last about keeping score. Don't you think this is true? Every leader in the world says, well, what are we going to do? You know, and then how are we going to know if we got there? And, and maybe even how are we going to achieve the goal? But then they always say, oh, yeah, we'll figure out a way to keep score. Don't worry. My clients will say to me, Jim, don't worry about it. We'll do we'll put a spreadsheet somewhere. Don't worry. We'll we'll keep a tab somewhere. Don't don't worry. We'll keep the score. Don't worry about that part. And and I just want to get on my knees and plead with them to say, no, no, no. <laughs> this influences everything, you know, because the way you keep score um, influences the way people play. As long as they can feel that it's their score. You see, the, the great value of the score keeping mechanism, scoreboarding that we talk about in discipline three, which is keep a compelling scoreboard, is a, is a way of keeping score that is designed to motivate people to want to win. <laughs> well, if the score, scoreboard is hidden on a multi-layered spreadsheet in the back of your laptop, and they mm -hmm. only get to see it when you're willing for a minute to open up the laptop and put it on a projector or something, it, it, they, they have nothing there to give them the drive to feel they're playing a winnable game. But if you reverse that, and, and Diane, I, I feel like you and I are kindred spirits in this conversation, but I do think there's a lot of leaders right now who, who have one eyebrow arched about me and the things that I'm saying, you know, like, yeah. oh, really? You know, <laughs> that if you reverse your whole process and you let the players create their own scoreboard, or you let them decide what their scoreboard looks like, where it resides, what's on it, what ornamentation does it have that makes it unique to our team? And maybe most importantly, how clearly does it tell us whether we're winning or losing? You let them do that, something really important happens. I want to say magical in my in my Irish heritage, but I'll, I'll be more businesslike and just say you're really important. Because when people have an opportunity to have their own scoreboard, they begin to feel that it's their own score. In other words, they own it. It's ours. You know, it's not the division's score or the corporation's score or even my boss's score, which is frankly what about 98% of the world feels they're working toward is their boss's score. They say, this is our score. You know, if, if um, um, uh, nurses in a hospital are, are tracking a declining number of uh, operating room incidents, or if people in a retail organization are tracking a number of repeat customers or increased ticket prices, or people in a hotel are seeing rising engagement, you can get a whole team of people who say, we did that. that that's ours. We did that. Right. And when, when you, I can feel it right now. I almost want to I'm sort of pacing around my office. You know, I got so much energy because this is powerful in a, in a world filled, filled with apathy and sometimes cynicism about work. Um, you can get people who play the game of winning at the goal like it was the, 
world championship or the Olympic medal round, you know, um, and then you get incredible results. But I'll tell you what's more important to me, even than the results, is you get people who become different people, you know, who find something inside themselves they didn't know they had. They didn't know they loved accounting. <laughs> you know? Well, maybe not accounting. Maybe yeah. I picked it up. <laughs> Try another thing. <laughs> they didn't know they loved marketing, you know, <laughs> or, or maybe they knew, but they didn't know how much. But now they're, you know, they're caught up in this feeling of winning. And, um, um, I may be I may be giving you answers that are too long, my friend, is because your questions are so darn good. But I'll, I'll close on this with this one sentence is, you know, it, it's sad to think about really how many people, how few people in the world have any sense that they're winning at work. You know, anybody's listening to you today, I would just challenge you right now. Do you do you feel like you're winning? I'm not saying do you are you glad you have a job? Are you grateful right. for your job? Do you work hard at your job? Do you feel like your job's important? I got all that. You find that a lot in the world, especially today. But how often do you feel like you're actually winning? And you, you, you know, most people would say, I don't remember the last time I felt like we were actually winning. Exactly. We're mostly surviving around here, Jim, you know? Yeah. Uh, so a, a great scoreboard, look at all that, you know? A great scoreboard brings all of that into the equation. And then contrast that with my occasional client who would say oh no just skip that part Jim we'll figure that out we'll put a spreadsheet somewhere <laughs> do you think it like is there a reason that they uh, I was going to say avoid that but I'm not even mm -hmm. sure it's avoiding it maybe they don't think it's as important as oh it no is. I I think you hit the nail on the head I think there are two things that are going on number one is avoidance I mean you're you were prophetic with that answer <laughs> because First of all, you know, if you're not confident that your team is going to have a good score, do you want that score publicly displayed, you know, <laughs> in, in the hallway on the way to the break room? Do you right. want, you know, <laughs> so, so there's a, there's a certain amount of confidence that goes along with that, you know, but also that display is part of what motivates people to create a good score. So you have, you have a little bit of chicken and egg, you know, there, but I think yeah. avoidance is, uh, I think avoidance is really um, one of those. And, and, you know, to be quite frank, I think, um, I think a lot of times, People don't want the accountability that comes with clear scorekeeping. Right. Know? I mean, if if I lead a team and we're missing our number and I know we're missing it and my boss knows we're missing it, but not a lot of other people really know we're missing it, I might be tempted in my lesser moments to just keep it that way, you know. <laughs> and and a public scoreboard it brings with it both incredible, powerful motivation, but it brings great accountability. And so I think that's the two reasons is avoidance of accountability or, you know, maybe uh, that that uh, public knowledge of how my team is doing. Those are the two things people seem to be the most concerned about. And I'm so glad that you said that because I was wondering about accountability mm. and because it feels like that, that that mm. that what the scoreboard does is it just helps people. But doesn't it help people keep each other accountable? Oh, yes, that's right. So beautifully said. And, um, you know, I, I just love this discipline four. I mean, I love discipline three, too. You could tell in the way I was answering your question. But but this is a this is a real this would be the biggest opportunity to me. You know, if if, if sadly only one little portion of our conversation could be public, I would kind of want this to be the most groundbreaking thing people had heard, because when you say accountability, 
virtually every human being in the world has a negative association with that. You know, if you, uh-huh. I don't even know if you have a boss, Diane, but at some point in your life, you've had a boss. You you can imagine if you're, you got a text from your boss tonight saying, could you come in early tomorrow morning? We'd, I'd like to have an accountability meeting with you. You know, there's not a single person in the world that's going to go, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. I promise. It's more like, oh my gosh, you know, what have I done yeah. wrong? Or, or what, what have I been caught doing or something? Then um, that's because we got all this baggage loaded into the word accountability. But when you think about accountability, if you open your mind just a little bit, it's one of the most powerful forces on earth. One, because we do more we will do more out of a sense of accountability to the people we work with usually than we will do just to get a good performance review at work. You know, people are, people are far more reluctant to let down the people on the team than they are to endure their boss's disapproval for a moment. And so in the, in the four disciplines, discipline four is about establishing a cadence of accountability, making that a regular part of how a team operates. And, and, and when we do it, we, we try to make it simple by saying there's really two kinds of accountability and we want both. Um, one is vertical accountability. So you to your boss, we want, we want you to have that. That's powerful. Um, and that's, you know, gosh, that's part of what drives us. You know, if, if you've ever played tennis without a net, you, you know, you don't, it's not much fun. <laughs> we, we need to be accountable. We need goals and standards and things that encourage us to be our best. So me to my boss is vertical accountability. But one of the great learnings Chris and I've had over this 13-year journey with this material is that the greater accountability, and that's the surprise to most leaders, is when people can feel accountable to each other. We call that horizontal accountability. So we do it in this really simple way. I mean, I think it will stun people listening to your broadcast is that every single week, the whole team gets together for about 15 minutes. And in that meeting, every member of the team, including the leader, makes a verbal commitment out loud for what they're going to do this week to influence the scoreboard. So you go one by one by one by one. Sometimes they stand in a circle, you know, on the manufacturing shop floor, or sometimes they sit around a conference table, or sometimes they're on the phone or, or on Zoom, you know. The, but, but regardless, each person says out loud to everybody on their team, here's what I personally commit to do this week move our score. And then one week later, we have that same meeting and everybody goes around the circle and says whether they did what they said they were going to do or not. So it is literally the most fundamental, simple form of accountability you could ever have. It's one human being committing to other human beings, eye to eye, shoulder to shoulder, right there together. And then one week later saying out loud, I did it or I didn't. And that small behavior, I I don't have a better word, and I'm sorry, it's a little flowery than transformational. It literally transforms not only how a team executes, but it transforms how they feel about each other. You know, you know, we've all been on teams where you, you like you like two thirds of the people, but there's one third, you know, you're just not so sure. (laughs) Well, you go 52 weeks of the year and you watch those people make a commitment and keep it and make a commitment and keep it and make a commitment and keep it. And you will not only start to respect them, you'll learn to trust them. You'll, you'll, you'll learn through experience that if they say they'll do it, they'll do it. It's transformational. 
but it also, in the context of our conversation today, drives incredible results by reducing it all to one simple personal commitment from every single member of the team, followed through on every single week. Well, and, and my gosh, it, what's so interesting about that for me is that it's not, if you just do it and you mm -hmm. do it consistently, mm -hmm. it's not hard. It's not uncomfortable. Right. That's it's right. the thing that you're doing. That's right. It just becomes part of the process. Yes. So, right. <laughs> yeah. It's That's crazy. well said. And there are a lot of, you know, multi-million dollar football coaches today uh, relating that same advice, you know, trust the process is, yeah. uh, is, is a really great advice, you know, for everybody. But it is amazing. I like the way you just rephrased it, that it takes a very large goal, reduces its complexity by being clear about how you're going to achieve it, further reduces the complexity by being clear about why you should want to achieve it. Right. And then finally reduces the complexity one last time by saying, you don't even have to think about the entire goal or the entire journey. Just be crystal clear about what you're going to do this week and then always follow through. Right. It's like a, a formula for reducing the complexity of anything down to a very manageable piece that you do every single week. Well, and I think that's one of the keys to actually executing is because is what I have found working with small business owners is they get so overwhelmed with mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, 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 how huge the goal is yes. that they can't see how they're going to get there. And then when we say, mm -hmm. okay, wait, what do you just have to do right now? That's right. Just start yeah. that process going. Brilliant. That's mm -hmm. easy. That's right. That's right. And the only thing 40X would add to what you said, it was otherwise a perfect formula, is what are you going to do toward this one particular outcome? So we wouldn't just do anything that helped the business. In 40X, we'd just add that one little extra yeah. layer toward a, so you want more customers this year? Great. You want a higher quality product? Great. You want right. more revenue? Great. But let's be clear so that all of our little actions march us toward a very large result. Yeah. That's 40X. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Okay. Now, in, in regards to that, mm. um, I have a question about limiting the number of goals yes. you focus on. Why is that so necessary? That's right. You know, um, I, I love this question and I and I almost feel like, you know, it's a confessional kind of question for me, because when I was in in all the leadership roles that I've had, um, I fell victim to the same thing everybody else does. I could always see everything that needed to be done. You know, I'm sure you sure. can. Right. As a yeah. incredibly successful uh, influencer that you are, you, you've probably got 20 things circulating in your head right now, even while we're having this conversation. It's just <laughs> natural. Right. You're so, we're all sort of like air traffic controllers that have 100 yeah. planes in the air that all want to land. Well, the worst thing we can do, especially in that metaphor, is try to land them all. That's, yes. that's the worst thing we do. We can't, we're going to crash, right? So, so the beauty of 40X is it says, get really clear about the one outcome that will be your breakthrough for this time period. 
and time period can be six months or a year, whatever you like it to be. We don't like much longer than a year because people tend to see that as being too far away. But, but yeah. you know, 90 days, six months, one year, great time frame. What's the one outcome that would represent a real breakthrough? Let me get super clear on that. And then let me make weekly commitments to that. Let me have a great scoreboard for that. Let me get really clear about the how for that. And then everything else in my business is secondary or separate from that one thing. So our, our phrase these days is whirlwind. That's everything in your life. That's all the planes that are circling in your business plus one. So you have your whirlwind, which is your day-to-day -day. phones that have to be answered, copy or paper that has to be reordered. You know, I don't know, whatever they trucks that need maintenance, you know, whatever your business is, you've got a whirlwind because that's what you do all day, but you never forget. You've got this one breakthrough result you've got to do. So whirlwind plus one, the one is what you use 40 X for. I say makes sense. And the uh, yeah. I know something you were referencing. I I should have incorporated it, but I'll say it real quickly if I may. Is um, you violate that principle. The greatest temptation any leader has is well, well. In fact, it's automatic. Diane, they'll say to me, "Well, Jim, could we have two? Or what about three? Could we have yeah. want to negotiate? You know, right away. Even though I've explained the principle. And and the only the best answer I know is um, um, those of us that can remember high school probably learned a principle called the law of diminishing returns, yes. which, you know, in layman's terms means the more things you spread your focus across, the less you actually accomplish. Well, that turns out to be true in yeah. goal setting. So it's an absolute promise. The more goals, the more measurable targets you give your team, the less they are going to achieve. Yeah. They'll work hard, you know, if you think about the, the the capacity of a human being is finite, e even those of us that want to dream about being infinitely capable, we're just not, we have a limit. So take that amount of energy, whatever that is, and spread it across 20 things. And what you'll find is that you try to work on all 20 things, but at the end of every week, you're exhausted. <laughs> yeah. And your contribution to each of mm -hmm. those 20 things is so tiny that it made no difference at all. Right. You wore yourself out for really no benefit. Right. And then flip that over and say, all right, but what if it was, what if it was one? And so all of my available capacity, which is above my whirlwind after, you know, above answering the phones and the things that have to be done, my whirlwind plus one on that one, what if I gave that all of my available mm -hmm. Maybe 15% of my week, I can squeeze out. It's available. The other 85% is just running the business. But I've got 15% I can put into something. Well, we're just simply saying you've, you're far better off to put all 15% into the one thing that, that is a real breakthrough for you than to spread that 15% across 15 or 20 small things and have almost nothing to show for it at the end. I, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. One of the things that I say is you can do anything you want. You just can't do it all at the same time. Yeah, that's awesome. I love right? that. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And and even to a leader, you know, you think about, you think about creative, ambitious, talented, energetic mm -hmm. people. 
they don't want to do less. They want to do more. I know. <laughs> right. So they have then this almost an addiction that every time we have a great idea, we have to do it. Yeah. Of course we have to do it. Right. But, but I will promise you, uh, uh, as my friend Chris is fond of saying, there will always be more great ideas than you can execute. Yes. There always will be. So why not put a harder eye on it? Why not select the one thing? If we could open a second location this year, that would that would be the single biggest thing that would impact our business. Okay, great. Now let's set up a discipline around opening that second location. So every single week, let's everybody on the team is going to make a commitment. What are you going to do to help us get that second location open over and above your regular job? We're going to squeeze out 15% of our capacity somewhere or 10%. You know, I'm just making that number up. Yeah. But we're going to always put that into one thing, not into five things. Think about what could ha happen in a exactly. team. Right? And how much faster. How much faster. And then at the end of it all, just to bring this intangible back into the conversation, the whole team would say, hey, yeah, we did that. We opened right. that location. That's ours. We did that. Wait till you see what we're going to do next year. You know, right. that, that's how you get a team like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is this is great. I, I, I love this. And I am so grateful uh, for you to, to you for joining me and having this conversation. I, I'm it's just energizing, which is oh, thank you. makes it so so much even better for me. Will you please tell the listeners how they can learn more, how they can find you? Oh, of anything course. Anything you think they should know. Absolutely. And if you don't mind, I just preface that answer by saying, uh, you know, you have made a great conversation because you clearly did some homework. You you asked great questions in just the right way. And we covered all the topics. So I'm, I'm very honored at the obvious amount of preparation you did that for, for us to be able to have a great conversation. Thank oh, you. Thank you. And uh, anybody that wants to know anything about Four Disciplines, uh, there's three things that are really important. Number one, uh, the Four Disciplines book was actually written uh, about 10 years ago, but this year we launched the second edition of that book, and it has 30% new content. So I would encourage anybody who's interested in what you've heard today, uh, there's a really good book, uh, new out on the market. Make sure you buy the second edition so that you get the latest and the greatest. And, and everything we've talked about today is in that book, plus a lot more of instruction and some compelling examples from companies around the world that have done it. Um, secondly, if you're uh, if you're interested in going virtual, learn, learning more, franklincovey.com is exactly the place to go. It's all one word, F-R-A-N-K-L-I-N-C-O-V-E-Y, franklincovey.com. And then when you hit that main page, just click four disciplines. And there's more out there than you probably have time to read today. So lots and lots of things. But the best of all, there's some wonderful videos case studies, things, things of that nature. And then, and then last but not least, both Chris and I are incredibly active on social media. We post something almost every day about execution. You can find us on Facebook, social media, LinkedIn, and uh, Twitter. I hope I said them all. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're on, we're on all of those every single day talking about leadership, about life and about execution. And we hope uh, on a daily basis, we give you some new and challenging ideas to think about all the time. That's terrific. Thank you. That That is wonderful. And I'll make sure in the show notes that information is there so people wonderful. can find you. I know I'm getting the book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. <laughs> so great. 
Oh my gosh, Jim, this was wonderful. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. I really appreciate it. I'm very sincere. No wonder you're in the top 100 podcast because you are really good at what you do. And, uh, and, you know, I have probably done maybe 30 this year podcasts and um, the industry, like all industries has people who approach it as professionals and those who don't. And man, you can tell the difference. And today was, uh, it's just categorically one of the best podcast experiences I've had. So congratulations, but also thank you for making it oh, such a pleasure. Oh, thank you. That, that's huge. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.